All right, good evening. Welcome to Lower Town. We're going to do things a little bit differently uh, tonight. Um, this uh, Earlier this week, the worship, the worship uh, team was... Um, They've been, they've been kind of going to different people's houses and, and practicing and rehearsing, and they were able to do it at my house and, and this week, and so it was just kind of, we were able to just talk, and hey, maybe we, maybe we could just do this, and so we're actually just going to close with a longer uh, set of, of worship, um, and mainly because we have a full band, uh, which is a nice treat uh, to be able to do that, so uh, thanks to the two guys from downtown uh, filling in and, and uh, filling out the band, so... Um, tonight, uh, we're going to be in... Uh, Luke, Luke, sorry, <laughs> I don't know where that came from, First uh, Peter uh, chapter 4, and uh, I don't have notes, so I'm, I'm using my wife's iPad of my PowerPoint, and we're going to see how this goes. Um, the reason for that is, this week I was up, this weekend, I was up at a, uh, at a, a young adult retreat, they called it YAR, um, all week, and, and so the, and they kept using, just, they just punned that to death, you know, of... I don't know. They would. They just put it in everything. I, I'm not witty with puns. I don't. They don't just naturally come to my mind. But people were, were doing it. Um, happy birthday, Lindsay. Thanks for birthday. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so I. Uh, this is actually my sixth time, preaching since Friday, and I thought, man, man, is there something I, I taught that could overlap for tonight? No, uh, there wasn't anything. This is all like heavy and about suffering. Um, and uh, it's not what I talked about up there at the camp, and and uh, but it's been good. So I was up up there this morning. I was at Camp Lebanon. If uh, any Camp Lebanites uh, here, um, okay, a few of you maybe heard of it, know of it. Um, it's only about two hours north. It wasn't that bad of a drive, but it was really a lot of fun. There was probably I don't know 140 maybe uh, young adults, and and when the guy got up to introduce me, he was like, "It's great." He's like, "It's so nice to be able to have." Um, some some older wisdom, you know, that can teach us things that that you know they've already experienced all of it. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa! I was like, the age bracket is twenty five to thirty five. Like, how old do you think I am here to give you my my great wisdom, right? Of of my age. So uh, that was that. It, it was a lot of fun. We uh, um, there was a couple other people. Pastor Drew, uh, if you know him, he was up there. Uh, did a couple little breakout seminars, and I did one with him and. And uh, it was it was just a lot of fun. They did um uh, they did like a human Mario Kart uh, where they just kind of wore these boxes and they had like power walk. It was weird. They did a lot of weird things, um, but it, it seemed like everyone had a lot of a lot of fun. Um, my I my family was supposed to come up, but it just it just didn't make any sense for a toddler and a newborn to be stuck in a cabin, especially with the cold and the rainy. And and uh, and our dog got sick, so I'm really glad she, she didn't come up. That would have been a mess for somebody else. So, but you don't you don't even know that it doesn't matter. Um, the point of that is I was stuck in this cabin out in the middle of the woods. I mean, in the middle, I mean, it's just out, I mean, out in the woods and there's, there's no, no lights, you know, to, to guide you to your path, you know, so I would get done teaching, you know, at night at about 1030, you know, we'd play some games and I'd be walking back, you know, the cabin at about 1130 and it's, you know, raining and, 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 and so the, you know, if they, they teach you how to like scare off uh, black bears, Right, I know there's no grizzlies in these woods, but but black bears, you know, you got to let them know you're coming, right? Because I can't see them, right? So I'm in the woods by myself, just going, "Hey bear, hey bear!" Like I'm I'm coming, you know? Like I don't like I just want to let you know, 
I was just freaking out the whole time. And then I, I mentioned to somebody that you know, I was, man, I did this. It was kind of, it's kind of freaky walking back at night. And they're like, oh, I should go scare you. I'm like, if you, I will literally kill you because I, I cannot handle that uh, at all. And I was tempted to like sleep up in the loft in the cabin, like on the twin beds. And I was like, if they do come in, at least I can, I won't be in like the, the main bedroom. And I can like jump down on them. I, I was freaking out. I, that was not my... I'm my cup of tea. I'm going to have to keep entering this password all night long. Okay, here's where we're at. This is actually week chapter, seven, week chapter 17. This is week 17 of 1 Peter chapter... We're in the 1 Peter chapter 4. <laughs> this is our 17th week in 1 Peter is what I'm trying to say. Um, and, uh, and it, and it kind of, he kind of takes a turn. There's been a lot of talk about suffering and what this means to suffer as a believer, uh, in these kind of, in between these two world, uh, kind of things and, uh, of what does it mean to be a Christian in this world at this time and suffering under the persecution of, of other people. And so, um, just want to take a, a look at, um, at the, at this passage. But before I jump into this, I want to, I want to highlight, uh, a couple people, um, here, um, not just Lindsay because it's her birthday, but um, I want to I want to highlight Matt and Lauren Almquist, and so I'm actually going to have them come come up here. Uh, they're they are uh, they've been here since the beginning, um, and uh, so almost almost two years. And they've uh, how how long were you attending Hope before that? Like downtown, you know, three to six years. Yeah, three to six years, and so. Um, uh, they they've been here. They're obviously on the hospitality team. They've been uh, just a big encouragement. Been able to get get lunch a few times with Matt, and then we just got lunch a couple, maybe a month ago. Or so, um, so they've been they've been a big encouragement to me. Uh, love them. Gonna miss them. They're gonna be moving to Thailand, and um, and they're gonna be there for you know eighteen to eighteen months, two years, something along that timeline. And and so they're they're not they're not what we would necessarily call missionaries. They're not. Uh, uh, going there with some mission board, or they're going to meet up with some other team. Um, but yet, they're Christians, and they're our friends, and they're hopesters that we want to send well, and we want them to go and live on mission. And so, um, uh, in Thailand, so I'll, I'll let you let you guys talk about that a little bit more, if if you if you don't mind. Well, Brian just took everything I was going to oh, say. Okay. So, well, well, all right. <laughs> too long of an introduction. <laughs> no, um, the Lord's blessed us with an opportunity to relocate to Thailand with my company, and uh, we. We were a little hesitant at first, but with we saw the opportunity and uh, just a, an amazing chance to take an adventure, but also, like Brian said, live missionally and be able to represent Christ and share the gospel and declare the glory of God to the nations. There are over 70 million people in Thailand with uh, 60 plus million of those people unreached for the gospel. Uh, it's 0.6%, I believe, of, of the people of the population there are evangelical Christians and within that, the prosperity gospel is rampant. And so there's, there's a huge need for people to share the gospel, the true gospel, the unadulterated gospel with the people, with, uh, with the locals, with the expats, with uh, everyone we can. So we're excited to figure out how to do that, how to love the, the locals well, how to adapt, how to learn the culture, the language. Uh, we're very excited for Thai food, as you can all imagine. So um, as, as we go, we are sad to leave Hope. It's been our home for many years, and Lower Town has been a blessing our home for the last two years and uh, we look forward to staying connected with hope as much as we can obviously being back at the chances we have to visit home and uh, we would appreciate prayers to that we can live well for the gospel for Christ's glory and uh, that we can serve find a local church and serve them well yeah, that's great 
And then, so what, uh, you want to just say what your company is and then what you're planning on doing as well, if that's okay, yeah? Yeah, we, uh, we do architectural uh, engineering and manufacturing, so big windows, and we have a manufacturing plant over there that I get to help oversee part of. And, uh, uh, yeah, so I'm not entirely sure um, what I'm going to be doing yet, but that's okay. Um, I'm kind of between either staying with my agency right now, I work for... Um, work specifically with uh, foster care families, but we're also an adoption agency and we have um, an adoption, international adoption program in Thailand. So there's some potential for me to um, stay working for my agency in, um, while I'm over there. Or um, my hope is to get plugged in with an uh, anti-trafficking organization because it's uh, where we're moving is Pattaya and it um, has the largest red light district in the, in the world. And hmm. um, yeah, there's a, a, a big need um, there. So. Not entirely sure yet, but they can usually Great. Work. Awesome. Uh, well, if, if you would, would you mind just, just standing with me? Um, and, as, and if, you know, just inclined, just pray to pray yourself. And just want just to pray for this, these couple. And, uh, and as they, they go, that we would just love them well. Um, I want to actually just kind of uh, do some kind of uh, prayer as they send to their emails and updates and things that are going on and be able to keep you um, up to date of what, what's going on with them and and uh, so we can just be reminded to, to pray for uh, our family, all right? So we just bow your heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Matt, and I thank you for Lauren. I thank you for their hearts and their passion for you and their desire to uh, serve you. And um, even just as we read through First Peter of how, how is it that, that even just my job and my work ethic uh, affects how I can reach people in a community um, that's literally on the other side of the world. And so I pray that you would just... Um, um, uh, protect them if that's your will, uh, and God at the same time that if they, I know they're going to go through trials and struggles of, of learning languages and there's going to be uh, barriers and, and because they're Americans and because they're American Christians and all these things that come with that, God, I just pray that you would encourage them, strengthen them, uh, that your, <clears throat> excuse me, your grace would be sufficient uh, for them and, and, uh, and whatever that may be, that you'd strengthen, strengthen their marriage. Uh, as they're over there and and, um, and trying to meet new people and new friends and new community and a new church and and it's difficult. So God, I pray that you just be with them, protect them, put a hedge of protection around them, and and that uh, you would just bless them, and that you would uh, expand your kingdom in Thailand because of the work of these two individuals uh, and your grace upon them. And so we thank you for them. We love them, and it's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. That's right. Yeah. All right. You may be seated. Thanks. <clears throat> Kind of get the code again. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> this week's message, and so, again, I'm sorry, I don't have any handouts because I wasn't, I wasn't downtown this morning. Excuse me. I got to get this out of my throat. <clears> throat> Excuse me. I was, uh, I was uh, one of those pre-Madonnas this week of, uh, at the camp. I actually drove into, into, into this place this week and grabbed my, my own microphone and my own clicker. <laughs> I was like, I'm not using no camp clicker and microphone. You know, uh, but I'm glad I did. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, all right. This message. Uh, don't be surprised. Uh, I'm not going to reread the passage because uh, Josh already did. Um, so, just but this idea of, of not being surprised, this fiery ordeal. And so, just want to jump jump right in this. Do not be surprised. He says this, dear friends. Do not be surprised. The fiery ordeal has come upon you to test you, as though something strange. We're happening to you, all right? So, so again, he's, he's saying, dear, dear friends, this is to the church. This is to you as a community. 
And he says, don't, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He said, this, this should be expected. And, and I, what I love about this is because this is such a, a Western cultural thing that I think was exactly true of, of at least Greco-Roman culture of if something bad is happening to you, if you're going through some kind of trial or you're suffering in some way, shape, or form, to, to, to get out of it. Right? What can I do to, to remove myself from this pain? Um, man, I've got this coworker that's really bugging me. Well, I'm going to go report him to HR or whatever. It may, well, if you need to report him to HR, that was a bad. It depends on what the thing is, right? Um, but you're just, someone, someone just is around you or doing something, just, <clears throat> you know, just want to, I don't, just avoidance of, of any kind of conflict and, and anything like that. Um, that's, that's just our culture, that we just want to be comfortable. And he's saying, don't, don't be surprised. <laughs> Right? as though something strange were happening to you. This is, and Peter's already said it, and Jesus said it, because of your faith, you will suffer. Because of your faith in me and your proclamation in me and your identification with me, you're going you're gonna to suffer. You're going to be made fun of. You might get passed up for a promotion. You might, you might get fired over this. So don't, don't be surprised. Well, what's interesting, though, is he has that language of don't be surprised, the fiery ordeal. Uh, some translations would literally just say, do not be surprised at the fire. And if you remember when we go all the way back 17 weeks, we looked at who potentially could have been the uh, Roman emperors that were around when this book was written. Uh, these two gentlemen, it was Nero and, uh, and um, trying to blank. Oh, another emperor. Uh, after Nero, it was, it was illegal. It was illegal to be a Christian. And they were, they, were, they were mass murdered. And there was a fleeing out of the areas and out of Rome and all these places. And they, they scattered around, right? And that's why the language in First Peter is you elect exiles of the dispersion, right? You're, you're being flooded out of the area because of this immense, intense persecution. And, and Nero was known to take Christians and, and just dip them in, in oil, and, and make them human candles. And he would just light his garden parties with burning human Christians, right? Just think about that. He say, so don't, don't be surprised at the, at the fire that has come upon to test you, as though something strange were happening. This, this should be expected. I just can't imagine, like, even as a Roman, going to a party and, and having, like, people being, being killed in front of you, like, because you can't say anything. Like, oh, I love what you've done with the place. You know what I mean? Like, what are you supposed to say in that situation? This is the situation that these individuals are in. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal as though something strange. This should be expected. And it says there's blessing in the suffering, the blessing of suffering. Verse 13, he says, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. If, the, the sentence doesn't end there, but if it does, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> right? the, the, the suffering and the pain doesn't bring joy. Right? It's, <clears throat> it's not like there's something that I'm, that I'm going through. If I'm going through some kind of pain, right, uh, that, that I'm, I'm singing and I'm, you know, uh, rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice, right? It doesn't make any sense. If I'm in pain, if I'm suffering because of my faith in Christ, that doesn't make me rejoice, what does make me rejoice is what's to follow, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Over and over and over in this book, it, it's all been about what's going to happen, 
Let's look to the author and the finisher of, of our faith. We're going to read that passage in just a minute in Hebrews, but he's saying, let's look. Let's look forward to the, to the resurrection. Everything is, is surrounded around the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, and he's going to come back, and he's going to give us that new life as well in a new body. That is our joy. So we rejoice as we participate in the sufferings of Christ, not because that's fun, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. What is his glory? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, uh, there's some confusion. I just want to mention this in that verse. Um, this, is a, this is not the sense of like these uh, witnesses or old saints are like spiritually around us now. Okay, this isn't like they're, they're surrounding us and and if they could just like pop up and seem like, whoa, hey, there's Abraham and Moses. That's not, that's not what this means. And I think sometimes you can read it that way, but that's not what it means. It's simply meaning they've gone before us. This, other people have, have endured, right? They, they've gone through this, right? So therefore, since we are surrounded by such a, a great cloud of, of witnesses, people that we can look up to, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, right? Even when it requires suffering for Christ. Verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus. There it is. Again, what is our, our joy? What's the motivation? We fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. I think another translation says the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him he endured the cross. It's very similar language the author of Hebrews uses here and Peter. The, the joy is not the suffering. There is no joy when Jesus is being nailed to a cross. Since so the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then his glory. Then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart in the midst of our suffering. Um, this week, I, I was illustrating this idea of sitting down at the right hand of God and, and this position of power and, and uh, an authority. <laughs> and uh, I had this, like, uh, I don't know if you got, I, I said the same thing, an object lesson? That's not right. Do you remember when my grandma used to turn everything into an object lesson? You know, like, she'd be like, Brian, you see that Kleenex? That reminds me of Jesus's linens when they were just left in the tomb. It's like, what are you talking about, Grandma? <laughs> like, I don't even know what, what's that? See this pencil? No, stop, Grandma. Like, I, I, you love Jesus. I get it, right? Um, so I think that's normally when I think object lesson. But I had, I had a couple guys come up on stage, and they kind of reenacted um, the idea of, of, uh, of what it was like to have a, have a meal and what it meant to be on the right hand uh, as the uh, honored guest at a meal. And it's the same image here that you have God seated on his throne on the right hand that Jesus this is his glory, that he's seated at the right hand of God, a position of power and authority, and everything is underneath him. Um, and then First Peter, though, he keeps going here. It says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Right? This, should, this should be something that because of the suffering or even an insult, if I'm insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I love what Karen Jobs, I've got a couple quotes tonight from Karen Jobs. She says this, Peter understands 
that it was the Spirit of Christ who spoke to the prophets, such as Isaiah. He, there's kind of a, a quote there that Peter does in Isaiah, revealing the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. In 4.14, which we just read, Peter claims the same Spirit of God predicted to rest upon the Messiah also rests on the believer who is willing to suffer for Jesus Christ. Peter consoles his readers that because the same Spirit of glory and of God rests upon them, their current suffering is as Christ was, a prelude to the glory to follow. This suffering is, is a prelude. There's something else coming that we get to glory in, that we get to look forward to, that is the only thing that we could possibly hope in. Because if, if all this isn't true and we're just suffering, then, then we're wasting our time, we're wasting our life. It's a prelude to the glory to follow. Moving on to verse 15, it says, if you suffer, it should not be as a, as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler, right? Like, just, I don't even want you like, to just dabble in this. Don't even, don't even mess with this. Don't even hang out with people that are, that are like this. Right? Of course, right? And I use the phrase a lot, right? If you choose the sin, you choose to suffer. And that's, that's just, if we suffer because I did something stupid, right? Or I sinned and I killed somebody or I stole something or I was any other kind of criminal, well, of, of course you're going to suffer because of that. But this is not choosing to sin and therefore suffering. This is actually doing the right thing and loving God and proclaiming his name and, be, and then get the suffering. So he says in verse 16, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And again, this is a culture, I think there, there, we definitely have an honor and shame thing in our society, but it's not nearly like other cultures in the rest of the world. Uh, of that we, we would do something or say, say something, and therefore you can't. I just started watching a show on Netflix called um, Street Food. Are there foodies out there? Watch Street Food? All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the thing about it, there was this, this first one where like, or I, don't, I don't know which one it was. I watched an episode, but there was, there was a, a kid, right, who was like, yeah, I really wanted to go to college, but because I'm the oldest child, I have to carry on the business. So I never went to school. Like it was, a, that's, that's an honor and shame culture, right? That if, if I just say, family, I'm out, I'd rather go get an education. You guys can figure it out with our, you know, my other brothers and sisters. He would have been shamed. Uh, we don't necessarily have that uh, as much in this culture. Uh, Karen Job says this, for, for this reason, let me, um, yeah, for, for this reason, let me go back. Uh, this passage, if you suffered, should not be as a murderer. He, he's, he's looking at this idea of suffering, and he's quoting a lot of passages in Isaiah. There's a lot of words that he's using, and uh, Ezekiel, if I remember, where it talks about how, how God is going to be this refining fire. All right, so, so, so there's, there's something about God's hand, and which we're going to look at in a little bit. Okay, So he says, for this re reason, Peter says, because this trying situation of persecution is a judging, Christians should stand firm and unashamedly bear the name of Christ. By doing so, they bring glory to God. Therefore, the suffering they bear for the name of Christ, which is shaming them in the eyes of society, right? If I, if I say this thing, if I stand up for people who don't have a voice and, and can't protect themselves, if I if I'd speak for them and it's shame upon me in my culture, in my society, then it becomes their badge of honor 
as one of the living stones in God's spiritual house. Use that reference that Peter uses in, in chapter 3. I, I think it's such a, it's an amazing, it's, it's, it's shaming in the eyes of society, and it becomes their badge of honor. And there are so many like heroes of the faith and, and heroines of the faith that, that they do something that, but man, society just, just hates them. Adoniram Judson and Ann Judson, and they, they, they left everything in this country and they, they went over to, to Myanmar, to Burma, right? And they're, they're missionaries over there. And, and, and Adoniram, he, he's the only one in the country that can speak English and Burmese or the, the native tongue. And so he ends up, the government's like, hey, you got to come write this new constitution. And he's like, no, I miss my wife. I've been all over the place. I need to go back. And he ends up then leaving and helping out the constitution, write the constitution. And as he's gone, he comes back and his wife, his wife died while he was gone. Right? And he hadn't seen her for years. Right? And, and people would look at him and say, man, all you want to do is preach the gospel and your family's dying over there and it's, it's shame. And then all these years later, there are people uh, that, that, that you can look to these individuals and go, how amazing were they to give their lives for something like that? Um, let, me, let me keep reading here. Um, Let's see, Peter's logic is obscure and based on an unfamiliar tradition, this idea of these passages talking about uh, there's this suffering. He is uh, this refining fire from God. He is consoling his readers by explaining why they should see rejection by society actually as honor and not shame. And we see this in the future glory. Verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. All right, and this is kind of the, the passage where, where he kind of gets into the traditional um, reading, uh, at least how the Jews would have read it. A couple other Old Testament passages that would say God is going to start with the Levites or the religious leaders or the elders, uh, and he's going to judge them, and then he's going to go to the camp and the Israelites, and, and then it's going to get really bad for everybody else who's outside of the camp. And that was kind of the, the traditional way of thinking about this. He says, if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Is there, he's quoting uh, Proverbs 16. Uh, again, one last quote here from, from Karen Jobes. The difficulty of being saved that Peter observes may, be, uh, may not be fully appreciated by modern Western Christians for whom society has not yet drawn a line in the sand, like in the United States. Even so, how sad it is that many, even in our culture, who once professed Christ eventually turn away under peer pressure. If that happens in society that has relatively great tolerance for Christianity, imagine the difficulty for living for Christ in a society where today it is illegal to be a Christian, which is, would have been exactly what was going on potentially at the time of reading of First Peter. I do want to go back here. I don't think I explained, explained the first part of this. For, for the time of judgment is to begin with God's household. And, I, and what Peter's getting at here is that our judgment as believers is here on this earth. Right? That as we go through trials and suffering, man, I want to, I'm going to hold fast to what God, who God is and, and what he has taught about himself, that our suffering happens now. And we endure that suffering. But the judgment for everybody outside of the camp is going to be in the future, this future outcome of people who rejected him now. And then finally, trusting God while suffering. He says this, So then, when those who suffer according to God's will 
should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. There is a lot that I could say here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some um, on, on something that I think, to me, has been really helpful. You might walk out of here going, that was not helpful, right? I wish I wouldn't have heard that. I, I pray that's not what's going to happen. But this, this phrase right here, those who suffer according to God's will, brings up a few questions. At least it does for me. And we could, we could spend the rest of the evening look at the problem of evil. Where does evil come from? Is God the author of evil? Does he, does he cause people to sin? Is there suffering? Is God, God causes the suffering? And what I will say is that God cannot sin. He cannot sin. He cannot go back on his word that he is good and true and loving and just. Okay, so evil does not come from him. A, a simple, and this is a simple way, there's holes in this, so don't, don't be like, oh, man, there's a lot of issues with this. I think this is one way that I teach it in, our, in my systematic theology class. We talk about the problem of evil, of saying God is not to blame. Um, that, that he gave human beings the ability to choose. All right, and, and so we're gonna, I'm not gonna get into, oh man. The reformers, okay, they, they used to have this differentiation when it came to the providence of God, the sovereignty of God in, in everyday cho- choosing and choices and, and, and our, how we lived our lives and then salvation. There was, there was a difference. In our culture, unfortunately, really Jonathan Edwards and some other uh, famous pastors from Minneapolis have kind of merged these, these two ideas that, that the sovereignty of God in little ordinary mundane things is just the same as God choosing who is saved. And, and I, think, I think the reformers are right in keeping those things separate. So tonight when I talk about God's will, I'm not talking about salvation, okay? That's, you want to hear me talk about that? It's online two years ago when we were going through the Reformation stuff. So then, those, oh yeah, this, okay, so here's the analogy of, of the problem of evil, if, if we can do this, right? That when God created man, think of it this way, that he created mankind, he created Adam. And, and then imagine that he created a giant boulder, and then he gave him a hammer and a chisel, right? God then did not create a sculptor. He created a human being that was capable of sculpting, right? He, he gave him the, the tools and the resources that made it able for him to sculpt, right? God made a human being that had a choice that they could either eat of this tree or not, and they chose to eat of the tree. He didn't create a sinner. He created somebody who was capable of sinning. What is the reason for all that? Well, we can talk about that all day as well. Right, but I do know, I know that I love my wife when she chooses to love me rather than me saying, you, you better love me, which I don't think I've ever said. I don't, at least not in jest, right? Um, now, my, now, Henry, you, lo- you love me, right? That's a, you will love me. You will say I love you. Um, <laughs> um, okay, now what I want to do, though, and I know that, that, was, that was just, that was, there was, there was nothing. There's a whole lot more that could be said about that and a whole lot of books that have been, and been talking about that. But I do want to talk about um, God's will or what I would rather call God's wills, plural. What does it mean that it says than those who suffer according to God's will? Is God choosing? Is he doing? Is he causing the suffering? Well, there's a couple ways we can look at this. And one phrase, and this is something I've been teaching for a long time. This is 
literally a two-hour lecture, two-and-a-half-hour lecture I've been giving for the last four years that I'm going to give you in about 20 minutes um, or 15. We'll see what happens, okay? But this is what it says. Everything that God wants to happen will happen. Everything God wants to happen will happen, period, all right? We, this is called God's sovereign will. Uh, this is kind of a, a word, Jonathan Edwards, will of decree, sovereign will. Okay, so I have this white line going from, from border to border, covering the entire span of all time and humanity in the universe. Everything is under the sovereign will of God. And what this means by will of decree, this sovereign will means you and I do not have a say in this. Right, so when Job suffers under Satan and God allows that pain and suffering to happen, he says, I see now, in Job 42, 1 and 2, I see now that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. It, you, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. When we read through all the prophecies that have happened in the Old Testament and God calls his shots and then it happens, it's because he's God and he's sovereign. When we look at the Passover meal, and before he even goes in and sets the Israelites free, before the death angel then goes and kills the firstborn, he says, you're going to remember this with this kind of meal every year before he even did it. When he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. I had no choice to be born as a white male in New Britain, Connecticut in 1985. I didn't have a choice in that. You didn't have a choice in any of that. Maybe your parents, maybe like any test tube babies, like your parents like could figure that out. No. That'd be kind of cool. Um, we don't have a say in this. We don't have a say in who our parents are. We don't say a, a, a say in who our family members are. How many siblings am I going to have? We got no say in this. This is the sovereign will of God. You cannot touch it. If he says it, it's going to happen. All right? That's kind of the easier one to understand. There's a lot of questions because it's like, well, then... It still has its problem of evil because you're saying everything happens that, so what, what do we do with that? Well, let's move on. There's also this other will, and we have to figure out when we read Scripture, moral or written will, what we would call the Scriptures of God, that he reveals what his will is. All right, so there are these two, if you want to call them two fence lines, and we can be within this moral or written will, his, his word, when he says something like, thou shalt not kill. Guess what? I have a choice in that one, right? When he says, do not lie, well, isn't God sovereign? Can't he just, no, this, this is something else. There's something else that's going on here. And, and therefore, when he says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, what will are we talking about here? It can't be God's sovereign will, or else everybody would be saved, and we're wasting our time. We might as well just live it up, and when we die, we're all going to be saved. It can't be God's sovereign. It's his moral written will that he wants people to believe and repent and change and follow after him, but yet people will stand and look at Jesus and say, no, we do that every day. I would rather sin. I don't think you are good enough for me right now. And we disobey. And we kind of maybe go outside of those fence lines of God's written will of his scripture. And we go beyond that because we choose to do that. But yet, even when we choose to do that, there's somehow still we are underneath God's sovereign will. He's still in control. He's seated on his throne. He's not pacing around wondering what I'm going to do 
on a daily basis. When I grew up, I was taught about this other kind of will, this specific will, right? This came up a few times actually this weekend. A couple of young adults asked about this, right? Is, I think the question that was posed in a, in a kind of a Q&A panel was, um, it, does, does God have a soulmate for me? Um, because I'm getting pressured by a lot of my friends to, to, to do do online dating, and I don't know if I would ever meet my soulmate that way. It's like, okay, that's a good question, right? Because I think my guess is they were taught this. They were taught that, yep, there's, here's the will, but there's some, I gotta find out what God's will is for me. Who am I gonna marry? Because there's only one right person. If I marry the wrong one, I'm in trouble. There's only one right job. There's only one right college. I mean, trying to pick a college was just, debilitating for me because this is what I believe. There's got to be this right thing. And we even had this thing that was called the uh, permissive will, all right? So even if I chose the wrong thing, God would just allow it, right? It's not exactly where it should be, but it's permissive, all right? That, that's terrible, okay? That's not a thing because what we see in Scripture, what we see is that God is a shepherd guide, and he gives, in a lot of cases, very clear fence lines, and he says, do this, don't do that. So when it came to choosing my wife, it wasn't like, hey, God said we need to get married, <laughs> right? That, that doesn't seem to sound romantic, right? Because then she'd be like, well, he didn't tell me that, <laughs> right? Which that happened a lot at our college, right? Guys would go up to girls and be like, it's God will that we date. Yeah, and they're like, no, no, it's not actually. Um, but we have a choice here, right? He's a shepherd guide. He's not a micromanager, and so when we have a, a choice to make or something difficult that's coming up, there is awesome freedom in that. What I do know, what Scripture teaches about marriage is that I shouldn't be unequally yoked, that I shouldn't go and marry somebody who doesn't believe what I believe about Jesus. All right? So then that chops off about 5 billion people. Well, maybe not that many, because not that many women. What would it be? It'd be about 2, two or 3 billion, Right? But then I still got a lot of people. I don't, it doesn't matter if they don't speak my language. Well, we can work that out, right? That's not an issue. But do you love Jesus? Okay, cool. Then guess what? Now I have a choice. And guess what? Out of five billion women, I want you, right? That, like, that's romantic, right? I, ch I choose that. I think it's romantic. I, I feel like it's romantic. God's not a micromanager. When I was a little kid, my dad used to take me to um, Big Lots, if you remember those places, um, they don't really—they don't have them up here anymore. I don't know if they're even up here, but we—we we didn't have a lot of money. But every once in a while, he would say, "Hey, we'd take you to go to the toy section," and he'd say, "Brian, you can buy any uh, Lego toy in here under five dollars." Okay, that was God's moral written will for my life. He told me what I should do if I ventured down to the Matchbox cars. No, he said Legos. But then within that, man, I could get the Robin Hood, I can get Batman, I can get some pirates, but if it's over $5, that's also at a dad's will. But I've got freedom here. He's a shepherd. He puts us into a green pasture and says, run and play and jump and drink. And then as soon as we go to bite a blade of grass, he's like, nope, not, not that one. No, it's not how he is. He's a shepherd. He's a He's a guide. So I have this other phrase. I don't even know why I'm using this. This isn't even working. I keep looking at it like it's giving me something. It's just a blank screen. Moral written, written will. So I added this phrase. 
Everything that God wants to happen will happen. Even the things that happen, God doesn't want to happen. Okay? Just think about this. Everything that God wants to happen will happen because of his sovereign will. Even the things that God doesn't want to happen. That I can tell a young woman who's been abused, who comes into my office, who says, well, I've, I, you know, I guess it's just God's will. No, it's not. Someone deliberately disobeyed God's clear command and will on you. It is not God's will that this stuff would happen. But yet, somehow, God is going to make that right again. And we can look at the most heinous act in human history, the cross of Jesus Christ. And we can say that was clearly God's sovereign, predetermined plan, and yet people committed murder. The only way that you and I can have salvation is if people murdered. How does that work? I don't know. Joseph, when his brothers confront him, if you're if maybe not familiar with the story, but he, he had these brothers that, that sold him into slavery, evil, okay, outside of God's moral will. They sell him into slavery, and then he has these dreams, and he saves the entire nation of Egypt and all of his people, of the Israelites, from, from starvation and a famine. And his brothers finally meet him again, and he's second in command under Pharaoh in Egypt. And Joseph says, you meant it for evil. You did me wrong. You sold me into slavery and left me as dead. It was evil. And then he says, but God meant it for good to keep this many people alive. Going back to Jesus, this is Luke, or I always do that, Acts chapter 2. Peter is preaching to a multitude of people, a bunch of Israelites, his fellow Israelites, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, he did, he did amazing things that only God could have done. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Do you see what's happening here? This predetermined, deliberate, foreknowledge plan of God involved wicked, sinful people committing murder. Everything that happens, happens because God wants it to happen, even the things that he doesn't want to. Because he's made a clear way and a clear path, and he's shown us the, the joy that Jesus has even in his suffering that someday we're going to glory in that with him and we're going to look back at our sufferings and say, man, I had, this didn't make any sense to me here. But man, now that I look back and I can see that and I can glory in this and glory in the suffering, I want to thank you. It's, it's hard to be, even begin to get there because if you're like me, if you, man, I'm going through suffering, I'm going through this thing, but I'm not Joseph. I'm not Jesus. I'm not going to change the course of human history because of my suffering. Well, you don't know that, first off. And even if you don't, you are suffering the way Jesus did suffer. And we get to glory with him and look to him for the salvation 
that we have. So the gospel application in closing is this. When you suffer for Jesus, do you look forward to your future joy? That we get to be with Jesus. We get to physically just hug him and say, thank you for suffering for me and for my sins. And finally, are you trusting God in the midst of suffering? It's such a difficult thing to try to figure out where, where are we in this whole God's will thing. God, are you causing this? Are you, are you just allowing this thing to happen? You could stop this at any moment. The same way Jesus prayed, God, you, we, we could just let this cup pass over me the same way that uh, Paul prayed, God, remove this thorn from me, and God says, no, I'm not gonna do that. My grace is sufficient. Are you trusting in God in the midst of suffering, currently or in future suffering? And looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith as our hope. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for our time together to look at this passage in Peter. And God, I, I don't know everyone's story um, in here. I don't know where they're at. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know if they previously have suffered. I don't know if they're currently going through some kind of suffering. I don't know if, they're, if they will eventually go through something that, that is just unimaginable. But God, you are good and you are sovereign. And sometimes it is so hard for us with our, our human minds to begin to understand what in the world that means. I just can't put those two things in harmony when I see suffering. But yet, God, I rest assured knowing that that is not what you want for us. That we would become more human, we become more like Jesus by following his teaching, by following what you've revealed to us in your scriptures about how we should conduct ourselves here now in 2019 in St. Paul. And God, I pray that we would just give you the glory all the time for what you've done because you are good and you watched your own son suffer under the murder of lawless men because you willed it. So God, give us understanding, give us faith, help us pray that prayer of the centurion of I believe God, help my unbelief. So God, I pray now you'd be honored and glorified with our time now of worship and communion. And it's Christ's name we pray, amen. Now I'm gonna enter into a time of communion like we do every week and, and uh, we're gonna spend a little bit longer time. We're gonna do um, five songs. Um, so you don't need to you know, rush up here. Um, not that like we do, like get your, get your stuff. Um, but uh, just let's take our time to reflect. I had a, an opportunity to, to just teach on communion this last week on a Friday night at this camp. We, we did communion, and, and I just, I, I love taking communion. <laughs> I love being able to, to take these elements, the, the, the bread and the juice that represent the body and blood of Christ, the sacrificial meal that he instituted thousands of years ago to say, this is my covenant. This is this new covenant in my, in my blood. No longer the blood of a bull or a goat or a lamb or some bird. It's going to be my blood. God's blood is going to be shed for your sins because it is the only blood that can take away the sins of the world. And so we don't need some priest to, to do this week in and week out over and over like they did in Israel. We had one high priest that did it once for all, for everybody and their sins. And so um, all I would ask is, are you just a follower of Jesus? If you would say, yes, I'm a follower in Jesus, then come. If not, feel free to just pray and stand and sing and, and do whatever you'd like to do. Uh, we do have a gluten-free option uh, on this left side, my left, uh, if that's a, a need of yours. Um, so thank you. Let's, uh, let's sing. <laughs>